Hello and welcome to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. This week on the show, for the second time in, I think, three weeks, another first-time guest. Braden Gall is the host of the Cover 2 podcast and a contributor to the Athlon Sports College Football Magazine. Joining us here for the first time on the show, Braden is also based in Nashville and covers all things that are important to Tennessee sports fans, including the Vols and the Commodores. We are heading into the week of the SEC meetings in Destin, Florida. I'll be at those meetings later this week. And one of the main topics that will be discussed in that conference is the plans for its divisional structure and scheduling going forward. Braden and I will consider what's best for the SEC and the fate of divisions throughout college football. Should any of the Power Five conferences actually keep their divisions? We'll also talk about the teams in Braden's backyard, Tennessee, under Josh Heupel. Is there reason for optimism? Can Vandy aspire to success under Clark Lee in an NIL and transfer portal era? Then we'll take a peek at Athlon's preseason top 25. We'll ask Braden what team might make them look foolish, being not as good as they're expected, maybe being better than expected, and maybe what team didn't make the top 25, but he thinks should have. Thanks for listening to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. You can find us at appodcast.com, where you can also find my colleague Rob Motti's NFL podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, just about anywhere you like to get your pods. If you like what you hear, please take a minute to give us a good review and rating. It helps more college football fans find us, and it helps us find more college football fans. And away we go. Joining me this week on the podcast, first-timer, Braden Gall. Braden Gall is a, is a host of a bunch of radio shows. He's, he was working with Athlon since, what, for about last 10, 11 years. So he is one of the minds, the brilliant minds behind <laughs> one of the best preview magazines out in college football. It's that time of the year. Or we're getting very close to that time of the year where it's, hey, pick up your preview magazine before you head to the beach. Braden, uh, first time on this podcast. Very much appreciate you taking time on a Memorial Day. Uh, thanks for joining, man. Yeah, always a pleasure, man. Uh, you know, you and I have known each other for a long time, so I'm, I'm, I'm glad to be here. And uh, brilliant, you know, probably needs to be reserved for some sort of scientist working on a cure for cancer or, you know, the, things of that nature. But uh, no, the, the, the team at Athlon, I've been there since 07. And, you know, there are a few other preseason rankings, Ralph. I don't know if you're aware of the other, some of the other ones. So we've heard. We like to think that we kind of drive the the first uh, the first bit of information when it comes to that, when our magazine comes out and, uh, you know, does it influence other people? Who knows? Who's to say, Ralph? I don't know. <laughs> well, you can catch Braden in a lot of different places, the Cover 2 podcast, which he does with the Athlon crew. Uh, I want to give you a pop early on. So give, give us your resume and then we'll do it at the end, too, just so make sure people sure. understand where they can find you. Well, I do appreciate that. Um, so the Cover 2 podcast is our national college football show. We've been doing that since 2014. Myself, Stephen Lassen, uh, through, it's, it's for Athlon Sports. So we cover all, we try to cover all 130 teams, 131 teams, I should say. Uh, now I'm still getting used to that. So um, you can catch that everywhere you get your podcasts. I occasionally, uh, I work for ESPN Radio as well. So maybe the Fine Bomb Show, Saturday mornings, whatever, uh, a lot there. And then I've got my own local shop here um, where we've got an SEC podcast. So if you're an SEC fan, Fringe Element is the name of the podcast, which is a, a hat tip to a Herb Street comment on game day from like 15 years ago when he started talking about the fringe element of the fan bases that are in, you know, the SEC. And so that that's where that name comes from. So uh, Fringe Element podcast, cover two podcasts for you college football fans. Those are the two places where we are essentially talking about college football nonstop. So those are the two places you guys probably care the most about. So check it out. So it. this week, uh, again, it's Memorial Day where I'm doing recording. So we're recording a little early this week because I have some meetings to get to uh, down in Destin, Florida to cover the SEC starting on Tuesday. So this podcast might post a little earlier. And just so people know, we are recording on Monday. Um, the big news down in the SEC this week, and listen, they'll be talking 
the aftermath of Jimbo and and Saban and NIL and transfer portal, but I don't know if they're going to get anything really done on those fronts. Um, but what they might get done is scheduling and divisions. They might actually come to some kind of decision on what they want the conference to look like going forward. And that's just been a big con- a big topic of conversation in all the conferences. So eventually, I want to ask you. You know, what do you think each conference should do? But what do you think the SEC should do? Do you think it's a no-brainer? I, I think it's a no-brainer to do what, what what they've been talking about is a three and six and a nine-game schedule. Yeah, and, and that is the driving force. Like, it may not I, – I would argue that everything is that, that we would say here about the SEC applies to almost every conference, really. Like, if, if we're talking about the big five or six conferences in college football – uh, I think the goal, if you're going to try to break it down to three or four reasons why you would do this stuff, get get rid of divisions. It is a little different for each conference, um, but by and large, they're the same things. Number one, you want the, the best possible championship game. You want the two best teams playing for your championship, especially if we're going to have an automatic bid tied to that game in the near future, which we all sort of think is is going to happen. So you want you want that. And it's a it's a better game for TV partners and for ticket sales and the event itself. You want it to be bigger and feel bigger. And, and it's to me a better way to determine a champion instead of having no disrespect to six and six Pittsburgh or an eight and five Wisconsin that ended up playing in the Big Ten title game because Ohio State was ineligible a few years back. Um, you know, though you don't want you want to try to avoid those things from happening if you're tying your champion to a playoff spot. So that's sort of like to me, that's the motivation for the other leagues, ACC, Big 12. The SEC is not as worried about that because they generally have a, an elite team winning their championship or even two <laughs> playing yeah. for their championship. Uh, but those are the those would be reasons for other leagues to do it. Get rid of divisions. Also, you know, geographically trying to regulate competitive balance is virtually impossible. It's a it's a fool's errand in my opinion. Um, and and then with the SEC, they are more driven by the the amount of time they want teams to be cycling through their campuses it, you said the three and six scheduling model which i've i've tried to find a better model to to for the sec and i cannot find one you can guarantee three rivals each year and then you play every other team in the league twice over a four-year span that you're playing everybody in the league twice in four years that's a perfect model it's great you don't need divisions they were invented out of thin air by roy kramer in 1992 to make money it's not like it's a tradition that's like really deeply entrenched in our souls or whatever. So we're also invented with a 12 team. Now we're up to sixteen teams in this conference. Right. And you can't, you just like, if they were to stick with their current model and this has kind of been beaten, you know, the, the, the horse is dead at this point, but like if you have two eight team divisions, Auburn and Alabama slide over Missouri, Texas, and Oklahoma are in the West. Well, what are you going to have Alabama and Georgia play in Athens once every 14 years, you're going to have Florida and Auburn play. I mean, um, you know, Oklahoma and, and Florida play once every 14 years in Gainesville, Tennessee and LSU are going to play once in Baton Rouge every 14 years. Like that's not what the league wants. Um, so you go to nine games, you add inventory, you can sell it at a higher price to your TV partners. You can sell higher price season ticket packages. You're probably going to get better games. Um, the only drawback really that I can think of is like trying to, there could be some stickiness with some of those tiebreakers potentially at the top. Uh, if teams didn't all play, if you have three teams tied for second place and two of them played each other, but the third one didn't, you could, that could be a little funky, but like, otherwise I don't want divisions. I want to see one through 16 and I want to see everybody play everybody as much as possible. And I know I, I, from what I've been told, the SEC's number one goal is to get people to be playing as much as possible. And that that's how you do that is cycle teams through conferences twice every four years and everybody wins. We all get great games. Yeah, it's great. You know, et cetera, I'll, et cetera. I'll, I'll throw the devil's advocate piece of this. And that is because there's still consideration or some talk about the idea of keeping what they have, which is this one seven model. And even if they scrap divisions, trying to come up with something that looks like a one seven uh, with one protected rivalry and you play eight conference games, the fear and the reason why there is still going to be some support for that. The fear is if I am. You know, listen, there is as great as the the second tier of this conference has sort of pro- progressed. Right. Uh, I covered Mississippi and Ole Miss and, and Mississippi State for a long time, and they were bad for a lot of that time. Things have changed a little bit in the SEC and, and those schools have a tendency to compete a little better. But the fact of the matter is they're not Alabama and they're not LSU. And South Carolina is still, generally speaking, going to have a hard time competing 
regularly with Georgia and Florida. If you are in the second tier of the SEC and you have to play nine SEC games, you know, you're looking at a lot of a lot of seasons where it's going to be hard to get bowl eligible. And I think there's still some concern about that. Yeah. So I don't think that's going to stop what the plan, the three, six plan and the get rid of divisions. But I do think there is some concern within the conferences. I am not among the elite teams in the conference. Yeah. When you just start throwing another loss to everybody else, because that's what happens when you play nine conference games. Now, how fast am I burning through coaches? How am I getting people in the building if my record is, you know, if, I, if I'm if I'm losing and throwing in the loss on my schedule? There is some concern in the second tier of the conference about just the, the weight yeah. of playing that many conference games and what's going to be a very good conference. Yeah, I, I think if you were to, like, if you could do it and you could figure it out, I, I'm all for, like, a weighted schedule based on the previous year's records, right? Like, like we, we do this with like what three or four of the NFL games that they have scheduled where you play, you know, if you finish first in your, in the AFC South, you're going to play first place in the AFC East, you know, each year. Again, that's like one or two or three games on your schedule. So it's not all the other games are basically decided. So in theory, you could have a weighted option where the first place team, the champion plays two through nine or two through 10, you know, if Vandy's at 14 or 16, you could play 15 through seven or whatever, and you could wait it. And we know that that's still very imperfect, right? Teams get better and worse as years go along, players graduate, you know, whatever. You're not the same as you were the year before, but like, I'd be on, on board with that. I think that would be extremely complicated for people to, to deal with in just general. And then you would also miss out on probably lots of rivalry games that aren't necessarily protected. You could also work that into the mix. It just gets more and more complicated when you do that. Mm -hmm. Um, The other argument to your point, though, and this is what I find fascinating about the SEC in general, like if you went to Arkansas fans or South Carolina fans specifically, and you said, look, you can join the SEC and make an absolute fortune for 35 years and never win a stinking thing, or you can stay in the ACC or stay independent, I guess, or stay in the Big 12 probably make far less money, but be competing for conference championship game bids on a pretty regular or more regular basis. What do you do? And I don't know if Arkansas fans or South Carolina fans have an answer to that question. Um, And that's what this comes down to. It's like, well, do you, do you want bowl eligibility every year or do you want an extra $10 million? (laughs) Like that, that's, that's what they're going to have to decide. Well, and the, cause the extra $10 million and all that revenue makes people think makes all fans and all programs and all fan bases think aspirationally. Right. Yep. Because you see that, well, wait a second, if we can invest that much, maybe we can't be Alabama. Maybe we can't be Georgia when it comes to regular, uh, when it comes to consistency of excellence, but we're all we are all capable of making a run. We're all capable of having a year where it sort of comes together and we, you know, we we push an Alabama and we push an LSU, or maybe we do happen to win a division, or not. Well, I guess it wouldn't be win a division anymore, but but make it to a championship game. There's enough money and there's enough uh, finances and there's enough resources, I should say being funneled into all the programs that frankly, unless you're Vanderbilt and we'll get to your, you guys in your backyard later, unless you're Vanderbilt, like you can think I can't do it every year, but we can do, we can be in contention and we can do this uh, again. Maybe not as, maybe not as often as some of these other schools can, but we can be competitive every year and be really good every once in a while. And I think all you have to do is I think the, the the difference between the SEC in this situation and the other leagues is where that upside falls. So like Kentucky's a good example, a 10 win team. They go on a run. They have some of the best football they've played in the history of their program. And their upside is really just sort of second place behind Georgia. Even I mean, they played Georgia pretty well again in Athens last year and a, a, on a 10 win again, they that's sort of their upside where at Ole Miss best regular season, maybe in, in school history, 10 wins, what third place in the division or second place in the division, like that's their upside. Whereas in the ACC, when you have that, that breakthrough, that, that year where you build and you build and you build, and that's the beauty of college football, right? Like you, you take a bunch of guys, you build with them, you develop them, you get to a point where all of a sudden you've got a veteran quarterback and you've got a veteran offensive line and the schedule sets up and you break through and you win your 10 or 12 games. Well, in the ACC, that's Wake Forest and Pittsburgh playing in the ACC championship game. You know, that that's, you know, Wake Forest has now been, they've done that a couple of different times, you know, like 07 was Boston college. And like, you, you can see it in the big Baylor last year, 
quickly turn David Ramda does a great job to turn around that program and they get into the big 12 championship game. You know, you see Northwestern do this in the big 10, get into the big 10 championship game. And in the PAC 12, it's sort of like a free, for, a free for all, as long as USC is not dominating. So the upside for teams in other leagues is a little bit higher to your point. Like that breakthrough year comes and you, you accomplish a little bit more, but I think, you know, I think that's a lot harder in the SEC, even without divisions with divisions, whatever. I think it's a little bit harder because the top two or three, it's just it's just another step you've got to clear. And, and a lot of teams just can't can't clear it. Um, I mean, in the Big Ten, it's like, you know, Ohio State, basically, you know, right. like you, you right. do you do you get the chance to compete against Ohio State and Michigan finally broke through and, and they're good enough to win the, the, the championship and get to the playoff. But that's not. That, that Michigan's a, an elite program. That, that, that's not right. Kentucky. <laughs> right, right. The other interesting part about the SEC, you talk about the balancing of schedules and trying to work that out. If you do the three six and you're heading towards three permanent rivals and six rotating schools, there is also the balance of how important are the rivalries themselves? Uh, how much do you want to sort of um, support certain rivalries for the rivalry's sake? But also you got to balance some some strength of schedule into that as well. I mean, at a certain point, like LSU, you, you got to give LSU a little bit of a break here, right? Like who is going to be LSU's rivals? Are we going to keep Florida? We're going to keep Texas A&M, and we're also going to throw Alabama on there. Meanwhile, if you're Mississippi State, again, you know, okay, we're going to keep, I think we're going to do Alabama, um, what's going to be your crossover? We're going to keep Kentucky. In other words, there's ways to balance out the strength of schedule piece yep. by also manipulating the rivalries a little bit. The only problem is then you might leave a rivalry off the table. The most common one I've seen that's sort of getting left out through the people who are, who are doing the projections here is Alabama LSU, which has become yep. maybe the biggest rivalry in college football or one of the biggest rivalries in college football like, like the significance to that within the SEC and nationally over the last 10 or 15 years has been tremendous. But it looks like that it, when you start putting the pieces of this puzzle together, that one might get left out. Now, of course, the other part of that is, well, you'll play them every other year. Right. But it is interesting that, that that balance of they're going to have to also weigh some of the history against, hey, we can't load up this team schedule that much. It's just not fair. Yeah, Auburn is the one that comes to mind for me, actually, because if you just right. start with their biggest rivalries, you're going to go Georgia-Bama. <laughs> yeah. Right. And then after that, what do you do? LSU? Like that? Like, I think Auburn is the one that... Florida. Florida is another one that kind of exactly. got lost to the... Lost to the, the, the divisions. Uh, the, yeah. The, yeah, the divisions, but maybe that'd be a nice one to bring back. I, I think the word you used is exactly right. It's the word I've been using to describe sort of how people should go about this exercise. I've done this exercise. It is tremendously fun. I just find it to be really fun to like sit down and try to find the three games for everybody. And I actually left LSU and Alabama off my, my list mm -hmm. um, because number one for Alabama would be Auburn. And I think number one for LSU is Texas A&M because I think they, they have a deeper, more hated rivalry than anybody realizes with the I-10 and the, the displacement of people from Louisiana to Houston and Southeast Texas. Like, they have a baseball history. They've got history dating back to the fifties and sixties. They, they do not like each other. And I love it. I'm here for it. Um, I think it's uh, what I would, I saw LSU fans rooting for Alabama when Alabama was playing Texas A&M and Nick Calzada and those guys, like they would rather have had Alabama win that game than, than Texas A&M. So to your point, I'm okay with a little bit of imbalance. Like I'm okay with Kentucky getting Missouri, South Carolina, and Tennessee, let's say, hypothetically. Mm. Like, I'm okay with that. Or, you know, whatever. Like, Vanderbilt gets Ole Miss, Mississippi State, and Missouri. Like, I'm okay with a little bit of imbalance because it's going to work itself out in the other six games that you play. Because if you've got three easy games every year, that means your other six games are going to be harder, like, almost by definition. Right, right. And at the same time, if you're the LSU and you're good enough and you don't play Bama or you're Auburn and you don't play Florida or you're Georgia and you don't play LSU – like if you if those two teams are still that good, they're going to play in the championship game. So you're going to eventually like I, I think that that's the beauty of the three and six model and the ACC is talking about the three and five model. Like the beauty of that model is that it, it will even itself out over every two years pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. um, that doesn't mean there's not going to be inequity there. There's always inequity. This is, this is college football. We can't right, right. like, it's like, this is the thing that I try to tell people like the NFL schedules every single one is exactly the same. Every single schedule in the NFL is identical. Every single schedule in college football is vastly different. And that's, we've, we've, that's been baked into our sport for a hundred years. 
Yeah. And again, that is sort of the beauty of it. Let me steer away from the SEC for a second because, again, the ACC clearly going in this direction. The Pac-12, I mean, they jumped out and, and booted their divisions three minutes after the NCAA said they could. Quite literally, they came out with a press release right after the NCAA said, hey, we're, you don't have to do this anymore. So they're going down this road. Uh, as well. I, I can see the Pac-12 actually scaling back to eight conference games, though. They're at nine. I think the Pac-12 probably likely can't do it this year, but at some point we'll scale back to eight with the idea of, listen, I don't know if this alliance will ever be a real thing, <laughs> but I do think there is an opportunity for the Pac-12 to gain a few more interesting non-conference games with ACC and Big 12 teams if they clear out that extra conference game. And I think that's ultimately the goal. Whether it's a structural alliance, I don't know. But I, I know the Pac-12's goal is we want more games against those teams. In some ways, they are more valuable than us playing against each other. Which is, which is unique, right? It's different than every other, every other conference. The reason we're talking about nine or ten conference games in the Big Ten, the SEC, or the ACC, is that TV partners want more of them playing each other. And what's interesting is I don't really know. We, like we're, we're literally going to find out in the next TV deal with the Pac-12, what does TV value? Do, do they value Oregon and the Ohio State game, for example, which was a great football game? Uh, or, or do we value you know, Arizona State playing you know, Clemson? Like I don't, or, or do they value the Pac-12 playing itself? And so that's where you're going to, you know, we're going to find out what TV wants in that. On the whole, I completely agree with getting rid of divisions. Um, I just think it's the best way to get your best two teams into the championship game. And you can have I, can to I throw out one league where I think it might not be. And yeah, go for it. Is the Big Ten possibly the one place where I, I've seen some people who cover the Big Ten make a pretty good argument that if you dig into it, you know, those those West schools are very have sort of similar DNA, right? They have similar ceilings. They're all sort of like developmental programs. None of them are top 20 recruiting programs. Now, I, listen, I understand if I'm Rutgers in Maryland, I am not down for that. Like that, that is the problem, of yeah. course, with the divisions in the Big Ten is that Rutgers in Maryland can't grow because they're stuck with those monsters in the East. I'm not I'm not necessarily making the argument for it, but that's the one of the power five conferences where I could find myself thinking like, you know what, maybe you're about as close to as good as it gets. Yeah, I, I think it's if, if you if you are like a purist and maybe a little naive and you and the Big Ten occasionally is a little naive when it comes to big time college athletes. And I mean that almost in a complimentary way, sure, because sure, they, I hear you. like they actually value education, you know, like like that kind of thing, you know, like the student part of student athlete is still very important to the Big Ten, which is awesome. And I applaud them for that. But again, when we're talking about billions of dollars in TV revenue, that's a little naive sometimes. So quaint, I, quaint it is. I, yeah. Quaint, yeah, exactly. And so I think I, while the purist in me loves the idea of like all the big dogs on one side that have all the money battling it out for one spot in the championship game, while we have all these really well-coached development type programs that generally speaking, have some of the best coaches in, in all of college football. Like that's not a knock on the big 10. They, they just don't have the dudes and we're going to pick the best one of them and play them in the big 10 title game. Now, most of the time we see what happens. Well, especially Ohio. if it's Ohio State. Yeah. Ohio State. Like the Big Ten doesn't, I say this all the time, Ralph. Like the Big Ten doesn't have an SEC problem. It has an Ohio State problem. I agree. Um, and and Urban Meyer made it much, much, much worse when it comes to recruiting. But I think like I see the joy in that and the charm in that and the and like how cool that could be. I've I've enjoyed it as a fan. I if you're talking about putting a team into a playoff spot to make your league as much money as possible and try to win a national championship or get two teams into the playoff, let's say, because I think the Big Ten, the reason the alliance I don't think is really a thing is because eventually the Big Ten is going to, all of the money is going to be of value to the Big Ten before it will be for the ACC or the Pac-12 because they they have the chance to get two or three teams in almost every year when it expands to 12. And that is where they can make more money than almost everybody but the SEC, and they, they already are. So I, to me, I think push comes to shove eventually, and the money's too big for the Big Ten. I get your point. I see the value in it and the charm in it. I don't know if being counters at the end of the day, see, see sort of that, that, that nuance that makes that interesting. Um, but I do believe that at, at, again, 
if you want to be cynical about it, at the end of the day, what you want is to put the best possible teams into the playoff, as many possible teams into the playoff as you can. And that means having your two best teams play in the Big Ten championship game. So in, in my opinion, and maybe I'm wrong, but that's that's what I see. No, I agree. And I think they'll stay at nine conference games and they might have to do a little different, you know, and I, I'll give Scott Docterman credit for this. He covers Iowa for the athletic. He pointed this out in an article he wrote where the the Big Ten doesn't have quite as many traditional rivalries as the SEC. Yeah. So the idea that you might have to protect three games, not really. Don't talk. Don't you don't you talk about Illinois and Maryland that way. OK, <laughs> like that is that's deeply rooted in those communities. OK, <laughs> poor, poor Rutgers, poor Rutgers. I, I, know, um, I know. But but the but the fact of the matter is that becomes a little weird because in some ways what you end up having is a team that might have more protected rivalries than others. So in other words, okay, we got to get that little Brown jug game back in, in play for Minnesota and Michigan, but do we really need more of, as you said, Illinois and Maryland? So do we need to like create another rival for some of these teams? Uh, and I guess, again, I'll give Scott the credit. He basically said, listen, just protect the games that you think you need to protect. Don't worry yeah. about like, hey, we need three for this team and three for all of them, or we are only going to do two. Just decide, okay, these are the important rivalry games regardless and build the rest of the schedule around them. And I actually kind of thought that was a great idea. I, I think it is. I think uniformity is still a, a cleaner sell to people, to fans, to coaches, ADs, no everything. Um, and what's interesting, and this is the one thing that I think is lost. You, you've touched, you kind of led into, led us into a, I, I think a conversation that doesn't get had enough, which is we all like to opine the loss of the backyard brawl and the border war and Texas, Texas A&M. And like, that's true that we all want to see those, re, you know, played more often or reestablished. There's no question. But what realignment, the one thing that nobody really talks about with realignment is the the invention and creation of new things. And while we joke about, Rutgers playing, you know, Northwestern, like what, you know, we joke about that, but at the same time, watching Nebraska and Penn state just physically aesthetically on the field together with the red and the blue and the white. And it's just, it's a really cool game that if they were both very, very good and complaining and playing regularly, that would be a great new rivalry that college football's never really had before. So you have to, like, this is the same thing with the sec, same thing with the PAC 12. Like, you, you know, when, when we see this realignment stuff happen, we all immediately get sad about what we think we're losing. And while some of that's true, we never really spend any time celebrating some of the stuff that could, could develop and could build into the stuff that 30 years from now, like is, is something we value really heavily. And like, like Arkansas and LSU, you know, like that wasn't a thing that we had a, a huge value for. And all of a sudden now they've got a trophy shaped like two States connected, you know, or whatever. So like, I just think that you can, you could put like, if you put, you, you know, Wisconsin and Michigan state, is a great football game. The last 15 years, it's been a great football game. Um, there was a point there where they were becoming right. sort of a rivalry, right? Remember like the, the, the divisions broke out, the right. legends and leaders broke out in a certain way. And they had like a stretch of about four or five crazy games again, and great games against one another. And, and if you are under the age of 30, you probably don't understand the history of Minnesota and Nebraska. Like those two, those two have a much deeper history than anybody realizes. It goes way, way back. Now they've sort of reestablished that as something that they get to do all the time. So I think there's, there's opportunities as well as sort of critiques and criticisms and concerns. I think you also have to view some, like, what are the opportunities? And, you know, Wisconsin is going to always have Minnesota. It's probably going to always have Iowa. Like you can't take those two away from me if I'm a Wisconsin fan. And after that, what pick? There's plenty of really good games that would be of value. The the battle of the Big Red, you know, you could play Nebraska every year. Mm -hmm. Michigan State's been a great game. Michigan's been a great game with them. Like I, I think you could pick three games and do a three and they have to expand to sixteen, obviously, to do a three and six. But a three and five model for the Big Ten, I'd be totally fine with that. I think you can start to build things and establish rivalries. And I, I just, I think there's more positive there than people talk about. Yeah. You know, it, it what you're saying reminds me of a conversation I remember having with Oliver Luck when he was the uh, AD at West Virginia, I covered their first home big 12 game and it was against Kansas state. 
And uh, if you have anybody ever happens to remember this, it did not go well for West Virginia. <laughs> it was a, everybody was very pumped up about it. It was Geno Smith throwing a bunch of touchdowns, and then Colin Klein, Colin Klein came in there yep. and just ran them out of the building. Morgantown. However, it was a very celebratory day for West Virginia because they were now in the Big Twelve. And I remember Oliver saying, "You know." the disruption of conference realignment. I don't think we want to necessarily do that all the time, but there is something to be said for occasionally just like uh, uh, shaking, shaking things up a little bit, seeing where they fall because just exactly what you said, the newness, some of the new things get fan bases pumped, right? Uh, The idea, Oh, I'm going to see this team now. Oh, this team's in my conference now and I'm going to get to play that team. And that team's pretty good. So again, it maybe it doesn't work out if it's Maryland and Rutgers, but it definitely works out if it's Texas and Oklahoma. So the newness of some of this stuff, and I think it will in the Big 12, actually in some ways, you know, creates excitement. Yeah, West Virginia is an interesting one because I think they are uh, culturally and in every way, shape or form an SEC school. Um, and Missouri is a Big Ten school, uh, like in every way, shape or form. So I think those two should probably be switched. But uh, your point is totally valid. And I think you've already touched on it. The new Big, Ten, the new Big 12, doesn't have an elite program. It doesn't have a national championship caliber DNA program, but it is from one to 12 is going to be incredibly balanced. It is going to be very, very good. And if you get the right coach in the right position in that league, you can go from ninth or 10th in that conference to playing in the big 12 championship game. The new one, very, very fast. Like who, what's the best program in the new big 12, probably Oklahoma state, maybe even West Virginia, maybe Baylor. Like, like Baylor. I mean, th- these are all teams that are all kind of about the same in terms of resources, success, financial uh, ability. And like, if you get the right guy, that conference is going to be incredibly entertaining. It may not produce any national champions, but it is going to be incredibly entertaining from top to bottom. And all those games are going to be fun to watch now. Like, I'm a nerd. So like, I love the religious undertones of BYU versus Baylor. Like, I think that's great. (laughs) So, (laughs) all right. So let me, let me shift the conversation here. We've worn out divisions. I want to talk about teams in your backyard, two SEC teams. Uh, We'll start with Tennessee, Tennessee. uh, Josh Heupel had a nice first year, despite losing a bowl game, a crazy bowl game, but nonetheless showed real signs of being ahead of schedule. Let's use that word ahead of schedule with Hendon Hooker last year, a quarterback. Um, They've had a nice, uh, a nice off season, right? Creating a stir using NIL to, or at least we think using NIL because all the conversations <laughs> around NIL are not a hundred percent clear. Oh, oh, they're definitely using it. They're definitely yeah, using yeah. NIL. <laughs> using NIL to sort of to, to make us some splashes in recruiting, and there is you know yet again this feeling that well. Is Tennessee on the right track? Forget, is Tennessee back? We're not near close to being able to evaluate that. But I guess what I would say is, you know, as someone who's lived in that area for a little while, is there any feeling of like, okay, maybe they got it right this time? Because there's been a lot of false starts with Tennessee. I I think what's interesting is the answer could be yes, if NIL and collectives are allowed to continue, which I don't know how the NCAA is going to stop collectives from doing the, doing the thing. Like, I don't think there's any piece of paper somewhere that says X, Y, Z player has to go here. Like I, they're, they're too smart. The lawyers are too smart to ever get caught with like the paperwork. Like, how do you prove intent of a 17 year old kid? Like you're never going to be able to do that. And so um, I, I, this is the thing though. And it's, it's, it's fascinating about NIL. And I know people's eyes start to glaze over and they don't love talking about it as, as much, but what's interesting is that you, kind of get to go back to being just a coach. And so what I think is interesting about Tennessee and their opportunity with all their resources to bring in player, I don't think Josh Heupel could land top 10 classes. I don't think he could. I think with a collective, I think with a collective, he could. Mm -hmm. And so if he's got the support of a collective that is funneling high level players into his team, then I think he could be an answer that maybe challenges in the East. I I have my doubts about the upside. I, I think that, there is they're going to be preseason number 18 in our rankings. Generally speaking, that's terrible news for Tennessee fans to be ranked in the preseason top 20. They generally underachieve anytime they are overhyped in the preseason. Good their offense, their offense has a great floor, though. It's a very high floor. They're going to score 35 to 45 points every single game. I don't know who they're going to stop on defense. They've got some tricky swing games with teams like Pittsburgh. How good's Pittsburgh going to be? Um, but I think they could win eight eight games. I think nine or ten requires them to be perfect, and we haven't seen Tennessee do anything perfect in like twenty five years. So I'll believe it when I see it. 
big picture, Josh Heupel's the right, the right coach for right now. I don't know if he can beat Georgia consistently ever or Alabama or win SEC titles, but I do think that program needed an adult <laughs> to, to run it. And Josh Heupel is clearly a mature professional adult football coach. And I think that is a huge step in the right direction. Um, but this is also going to be a summer where they have expectations for the first time. There's going to be pressure on him for the first time. And we're going to see how they respond because they got the quarterback. They've got the offense schedule still pretty nasty. And the defense is not all that great still in, in big games. So if they get blown out by the best three or four teams they play and don't beat Florida at home in week three or four, which is huge for him. And they go eight and four. It's still technically a step in the right direction, but I don't know. I don't know how Tennessee fans, like if they land a top 10 class and he does that, they're all good. Hmm. They're, they're, they're totally good. Cause it's, it's all going to be about whether or not he can recruit. And um, the collective is certainly helping him almost as much as any other head coach in the entire country. Yeah. I, I also do think though, that eventually, and I, this is another place I'll steal from uh, a guy who you had on your show, Ari Wasserman, I think was on your cover two show relatively yep. recently. And he, he, Ari and Ari and I are, he Ari's from the athletic and he and I are, are of the same mind when it comes to sort of the end game of NIL, which is at some point, if they're all doing it, then we just revert yep. back to yep. what if, if the money is there for everyone, then we just revert back to what has always sold recruits. How am I getting to the NFL? Um, who's winning? Pretty girls, you know, like cool T- uniforms, you yeah, know, like, TV. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Waterfalls and, and, and slides and right. pizza parties and everything. So, so, so I think there's a, I do wonder in the long run, if, a, a school like Tennessee, which thinks, oh, now we have NIL. This is the place where we can change the dynamic, how much that they're able to do that if everybody else is also at some point doing essentially what they're doing. And and also, uh, let's all not be naive here. Uh, very rich and powerful fan bases have been pouring money into football teams that lose games for decades. Right. <laughs> like right. it doesn't mean you're going to go win anything. Like it's the uh, teams do this t- teams do this poorly all the time and have been doing it poorly <laughs> right. all the time. And I, I do agree with you and Ari and uh lamestream sports, by the way, it's a sports media business podcast. You should check that out. Um, he, he's right. I mean, I agree with you guys that there's a short term chaotic window here for all of this. And then as it settles out, whether it's, a salary cap, like every player that plays in the Big Ten gets forty grand. Every player that plays in the SEC gets forty grand, or you know, however it plays Whatever, out, yeah. it, it is eventually going to come back to well, the same, the same stuff. Like, who do I have a good relationship with? Who do I trust? Who do I? Which offensive scheme do I like? You know, all that that kind of stuff. Once it does even out, the, the key is who can capitalize before it evens out. And right now, Tennessee is is doing a good job of that. Again, does that mean they're going to start beating? Georgia and their 4,000 five-star recruits anytime soon? Like probably not. So they're going to need a few years before that. I mean, A&M's doing this right now. Like they've had four or five top 10 classes in a row. They're going to have to start beating, you know, they beat Alabama, but like you can't lose to the Mississippi schools and a bad LSU team and continue to show, pro- like you got to show progress. So, yeah. You know, I, I wonder if Tennessee is going to be on sort of a Texas A&M timeline that there's so much ground to catch up on a Georgia and Alabama right now, because they are such, you know, they're such beasts. Yep. They are such monsters that, right. It, it's not just like, Oh, we've had four, we've had three top 10 classes. We're ready to compete. No, you're not. You're no, you're not. This is, you know, you're two or you're two or you, you might be still two or three years away. And Texas A&M is a, a great example of like, they just had this incredible recruiting class. They've clearly made strides under Jimbo Fisher, but they still look like they're a year away from seriously challenging Alabama to beat Alabama for the division. Forget beating them on the field. We know you can beat them one game on the field, but just like you said, so if Tennessee's on that same trajectory, are we three years away from them finally chasing down Georgia? Yep. I don't know. Maybe yeah, let me, let me. I, I, at, at minimum, um, they, they they had a really good game plan against Georgia last year in the first quarter, and it worked well. And then you just saw the 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 level of athlete and the depth that Georgia has. It takes four years. It takes four classes stacked on top of each other, and great coaching, and some luck to get to where Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, and and these programs can get. Like e- even LSU when they break through and win a national title, like that, that is, that is Ed Orgeron sitting at a casino playing roulette. And he happened to hit on Joe Brady 
and Joe every, Burrow. Yeah. Every, like he just happened to hit on it and it became the like, that's not, you can't replicate that. That's not sustainable. You need to have dudes uh, like on your team. Like, and this is what I like about AM. and I, I, I still think, and we, I know you want to talk about our top 25. And if you're going to ask me which yep. team I think, which team I think in our top 25 could disappoint the most and, and just make us look silly. Texas A&M at number five is, is very, is a very easy choice because I, I think I could argue they have the number four roster in America, one to 85. I think I could argue where they're one of the best four rosters in all of college football, but do I trust them to go like, they're not going to beat Bama and Tuscaloosa. Let's just after last week's stuff, like there's no chance that's going to happen now, but could they be, and this is my same question for Michigan to some degree. Can you be perfect in your other 11 games? Like that's what Michigan's going to have to do. Cause I'm not going to pick them to go into Ohio state and win that game with less of everything than they had last year, maybe a better quarterback situation, maybe, but like, can A&M be perfect outside of the Bama game? And I'm just not I, like, that's, that's, what's concerning to me. That's what's a little scary. And I just think, I think especially in a league that the middle class is better than it's ever been mm-hmm. like Ole, Ole Miss, Arkansas, Mississippi state are good teams. Like LSU is going to be much better this year. They beat yeah. you last year when they weren't that good. Right. So I, it, it, there's, there's so many teams that have to be perfect outside of the top three. I think at full, from four on down to like 25 in our rankings, I would argue every one of them has major flaws, major upside, but a lot of questions. And I don't think any of them can be perfect. Okay. So we, we, listen, we tend not to spend too much time on Vandy, uh, but I do like to cover them all. I, I am interested to, to ask you about this because I was talking with an assistant coach and he had an interesting, he said, he, he, who, who kind of knows Clark Lee. And he was like, listen, I, I actually had a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, hope that like Clark could get in there and sort of do the, the, like make sort of a Northwestern play for Vanderbilt. Not that they were going to be winning divisions, but that they could become competitive. And then in the two years or not even year and a half between the transfer portal and NIL, like it became a different job. Yeah. Like all of a sudden now, as if Vandy did, wasn't already running, you know, basically swimming against the tide now, literally and figuratively some years um, now they also have to deal with, Hey, like, you know, I'm out of here. I'm going to, I'm good. You got me good. You developed me, but now I'm going to bounce because they're probably going to lose one or two or three of their better players every year to the transfer portal who are looking for some place where they can win big. And that's huge. Like one or two, like they just lost a tackle to Alabama this year. You know, like one or two really top-notch players is the difference for a school like Vandy between that breakthrough season where we win seven games and get to a bowl and, oh, we're five and seven again. So it's Vandy. There's tends to be not a ton of hope, but it it, it does. I I found myself feeling a little sad. Like there was (laughs) this like very small window of like, Hey, maybe we got an idea here. Maybe we got the guy. And now all of a sudden the job changes and you're like, well, maybe not. And and, and, Oh, by the way, we're going to add Texas and Oklahoma to your schedule. Um, Right. right. But, but I mean, this raises an interesting question about NIL. And again, I don't want to spend too much time on that, but like if Pittsburgh ends up to be, if Pittsburgh ends up being a feeder school for USC, hypothetically, let's just say not great. Like that's not good for the sport. We, we can't have seven to 10 programs just take like basketball. It's, it's terrible right now in college basketball. Um, if you're like Belmont's here in Nashville, they're a very, very good program and they churn out really high level, you know, mid-major players. And like they lost five players to the, to the portal to go on and play at bigger, bigger schools this year. Like they lost their entire starting lineup. Mm. That's a really good program. Like we can't have that in football. If, if, we already have power consolidated with the top 10 or 12 schools in terms of talent. Anyway, we can't have that imbalance get worse. So we, we can't have the Belitnikoff award winner leaving to go. Like, even though I believe in capitalism and I believe that Jordan Addison has the right to go do whatever he thinks is in his own financial best interest. What, again, I'm not saying that's what he did, but just hypothetically, I, you know, I, I agree with that, like as an American, but I also I want there to, this is why we're trying to find that middle ground on this issue is how can we maintain the amateur model, allow them to get compensated, but also not destroy our sport in the process. Mm-hmm. And it's smarter people than, than I need to figure that out because it's, it's very, very tricky. Vanderbilt is interesting. The one, the one difference is like in, in the famous story about um, Pat Fitzgerald getting on a plane to go interview at Michigan and, you know, he's going to go take the Michigan job and he calls back and they go, what do you want? And he goes, I want this, this, and this. And they give him whatever he wants. And he stays at Northwestern. Right. And 
that's the Fitzcarlton that's right there built on Lake Michigan. And that's, that's, that's the thing that, that Vandy has always lacked. They have not had that level of financial commitment to their program. And if you want to be like Northwestern, you got to spend like Northwestern. And they finally are starting to open up the purse strings a little bit and realize that if they want to, they need to, to, to renovate the facilities and build a new stadium and renovate the football operations and build a practice facility. Like they've, they're seeing all of this finally. And for the first time since I've lived here for 25 years, it's the first time ever that, that you can now actually donate money directly to athletics. It doesn't have to go through the university clearinghouse first. So Vanderbilt has some, there's some optimism there. I think Clark Lee's a really smart guy. You know, I read, I, I love all the books he reads. He's such a, he's such like a leadership, like art of war kind of guy. And I, and I appreciate that cerebral holistic approach. I think it's the right one for Vanderbilt. Uh, are, are you going to win six but, games every year? Like that, that's, that's yeah. a, that's a tall ask. And what is a conference that's getting even harder in a couple of years? Yeah. The job just did get much, much harder. Okay. So now Athlon puts out its top 25. I, I, are you guys the first of the major magazines to hit with that? I mean, I always, I know that sometimes that can be a little dicey to determine who's, who's first across the line, but, but I felt like it was, I, I'm not counting the way too early. Right. right. That, uh, that, Ralph, I don't know of any other preseason magazines, so <laughs> I, don't, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. What um, we, I will say that we use complete sentences and words in our magazine. So there's that. Okay. We, we do have that. <laughs> so, I'm going to be, I'm going to be, I'm going to be super supportive here, but to everybody. That's okay. That's I awesome. tend to be a, uh, I tend to be a two preseason magazine kind of guy, right? I usually pick up Athlon and I usually pick up Phil Steele. Phil, the difference is, and I can say this, Phil Steele's is a, is a textbook, right? It's got a lot of information in there but is not necessarily like leisurely reading. It's good for like just the information. Athlon, you can actually read the articles, right? Like there's a little more like, there's a little more, there's a little more art to the writing. So they're good compliments to one another. So one I would them, say- and, I, and I'm a fan, I, like, listen, I, I've known Phil a long time, so no, no bad oh, blood here. Of course, here yeah. And Phil does Phil. an amazing job. But, but the, the two major differences, you've already pointed out, complete sentences and, and actual words instead of like government policy acronyms, which is like whatever, every, everything in DC is just like written on like with all these acronyms and government language. And that's sort of what Phil does. Now, Phil, for gamblers, I think his magazine is better than ours. There's no question about that. Um, I will say that we use writers that are, that are at practice. We use writers that cover teams every day. Right. So if you're reading an Alabama article or a Michigan article or an Oregon article, you are getting it from someone who covers that team daily on that beat. And that is very, that's different from every other magazine that's on the newsstands. And so we're, we're very, we're very prideful about that. It does not mean that they both don't serve a great purpose and we love both of them. So, so the top 25 comes out. And again, you know, the weird thing about obviously the AP top 25 comes out later than just about any other top 25. We come out a couple of weeks before week zero. With the idea that, oh, the more information we allow our voters to have, plus it's sort of like it launches the season. That's our niche. That's fine. That's what we we like to be. But as I've told people over the years, like it's getting harder and harder to avoid. Like I kind of have an idea what the polls. I, nobody's nobody's voted yet. Nobody's nobody. In fact, we haven't even picked our voters yet, but I have a pretty good idea what that poll is going to look like come middle of August. Because there's so many polls that come out and rankings, but not polls, yeah. but rankings that come out beforehand, it's hard to avoid the group think. It's hard to sort of already set a narrative for this season for these teams. That's that's fine. I'm not lamenting it. I'm just saying that that's sort of what what it is. So when you so actually let me ask you that. Who how do you guys do? How do you guys put together the top twenty five for Athlon? Because I, I what what one of the most important things we do is the exact exercise you're talking about, which is like, what are we missing here? Like, what what is the why? It's almost like our own groupthink destruction. We're trying to like destroy our own internal groupthink, and there's it's about hard. three of us. It's really hard, and it is like, and this year it's even harder. And I think I'm actually more interested in in like an AP style voting with so many people from around the country than I ever have been before, because I think we had the hardest time we've ever had picking the fourth team. And, and honestly, like the top three, I agree with you. It's very predictable. Everyone's going to have probably the same top three, maybe in some different order. I, you know, Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, in some order is going to be what everybody's top three, in my opinion, should be. But after that, I think you could make the case for upwards of 15 or 20 teams. 
to be number four. And it was the most difficult decision we've ever had at that spot. But we also have like, we have a specific meeting where we, we spend weeks on these meetings and we let things sit for a week and then we come back the next week and we let things sit and we try to get more information and we let it sit and then we come back and we debate and we debate and we debate. And there's always one meeting near the end where I just, my job is to come in as like the devil's advocate, which I do sort of naturally well. And I just come in and I go, what are we doing here? What are we, what's wrong? Like, this is wrong. What, what, what if this team is not even close to a championship caliber team in the PAC 12, or this is the team, what, who are we missing outside of the top 25 Michigan was like number 27 last year in our preseason rankings. Like, you know, we had Cincinnati in the top seven. So technically I think we got that one pretty right, but Michigan, we did not. And Michigan state the year they made the playoff Washington, the year they made the playoff, you know, there's all kinds of great teams that win championships that come out of nowhere. And we just go, what are we missing here? What are we not seeing? And it's, it's a real part of the process, but it is very hard when, when you sit down and look at like playing the odds of like which team has the best path, the best combination of athletes and coaching to get to that four, five, six slot in in our rankings. And it this year, I, I'm telling you, it's it's harder than we've ever. I could sit here right now in this interview and probably talk myself into seven or eight different teams for that fourth yeah, slot. Yeah, because even even as I read the poll here, and you guys have Clemson at number four. Texas A&M at number five, Michigan at number six, Notre Dame at number seven. I found myself thinking, hmm, really? Like none of those <laughs> right, teams to right. me felt like they should be number four or five. Like, I, But of course, somebody's got to be number four because if you go lower, it's not like you're going to find, oh, here's the team lying at 17 that I think should be number four. So I get it. I get the idea. And I feel like this has been sort of the constant theme with the poll with our poll for the last few years at, at a certain point during the season, you go, there's gotta be a number four. We can't just go from like three to 15. Right. Um, like, so like, I, I like Miami is number 20. We have Clemson winning the ACC, but we have Miami playing them in the ACC championship game. And they're number 20 in our ranking. If Miami wins one or two extra games yeah, and Clemson, and Clemson, and Clemson loses one more game and then they play each other, Miami could get into the playoffs. Like yeah. that, it's not crazy to think that they have the athletes and and the schedule and the path and all that stuff that number 20 in our rankings could easily be in the playoff. And I, and this, and again, normally I think it's pretty clear. I do not think that like, I like Baylor a lot this year. I really like Baylor. I really like NC state. Uh, I really like Oregon a lot. Like I could pick all those teams right now to make the playoff and I would not feel bad about it. Okay, so you you touched on one of the questions I was going to ask is what team do you think in the top 10 has a chance to make you look dumb? And you mentioned that Texas A&M, I think. And I think you're right. I think a lot of people are going to have Texas A&M in their top 10 this year. But because of we don't really know what's going on a quarterback, we have this great recruiting class, but they are still freshmen. So how much how much are you going to get out of that recruiting class? The very weird thing I always bring this up about Jimbo Fisher's program. It's a wide receiver sport now and they don't have them. Like they haven't had wide like big time wide receivers or haven't really been producing them at the level that other top five programs produce them these days. So anyway, I don't want to get too deep in the weeds on that. So you mentioned Texas A&M is your team that you feel like could could make everybody look a little stupid. Is I mean, it, Clem- Clemson's Clemson's in the same boat, honestly. I feel like, like Clemson is too. That's what that would where I would, might have gone because I, I look at Clemson and think, listen, it's a huge year for Dabo. We're going to sort of get an idea of like whether his way is the way that whether his blueprint can continue to work. They didn't go in the transfer portal. They stayed in house to make most of their replacements as far as coaching staff. Okay, that's what you want to do, Dabo. I got gotcha, you, but like this is a new age. It's, it's very interesting. Like I think Clemson is there a little bit more based on path. A&M is there a little bit more based on talent, pure talent. But I think you're right. Like to put a team that had one of its worst offensive years in 15 years, ever in the history of da- coach Dabo Sweeney's career as the head coach with, without, with a new coordinator on both sides of the ball and, and have them making the playoff. Like, that's to me like an extraordinary leap, honestly. Like, and, and we had a lot of arguments about this because that, that's not necessarily who I would put at number four, but I, I, it, there, I'm not the final say on this and I, I can get behind why we decided that. Um, I, I do think they've got the best defensive line in all of college football, number one, pure, pure and that's going to win them a lot of games in the ACC. The same argument about the worst offense in Dabo Sweeney's career is also 
Like the, the worst team that Clemson's had in 15 years still won 10 games. Like, right. like, right. like right. there's, there's still another side of that coin. And so I, th- again, honestly, like if Notre Dame gets great quarterback play, I could see them getting at number being at number four. If, if Michigan can be 11 and O when they go to Ohio state, they could absolutely be number four. If A&M could, is only going to lose to Alabama, they could be number four. Uh, Baylor and Oklahoma is our pick to play in the big 12 title game. I like Oklahoma state a lot as well. I, I really like Baylor. I think Baylor, the problem is their schedule's tricky and they would have to beat Oklahoma twice. I, like I said, I love Oregon and Utah, but they're going to beat up on each other as well. Like there's just, who is it? Like who's the right thing? Who's got the path? And I think we're looking at a year for a second place team or a two loss team, potentially getting into the playoff for the first time. And I don't, we saw G5 do it last year for the first time. New things are going to keep happening. And I, I think this could be a year where a two loss champion gets in because there's just not a lot of great options or you want to flip that coin around. Like there's a lot of quality options mm-hmm. and there's not a lot of separation. Again, I would say between four and like Arkansas at 22, like Penn state at 25. Like I, I think right around that 20 mark with Miami is where the drop-off happens. But if you told me four through 20, anybody in that group, I would not be surprised if they made the playoff. Okay, so if I told you to give me somebody in the middle there, because you're right, there was a few, there was a, a a few year run at the beginning of the playoff era where that like ten to fifteen, ten to sixteen spot seemed to seem to produce some playoff teams. Uh, look at your ten to well, I'll I'll do it for the listener. Uh, Baylor is eleven, uh, NC State is twelve, Oklahoma is thirteen. Michigan State is 14, Cincinnati is 15, I'll go 16 to Wake Forest. If there's somebody else you want to go, that's fine. But out of that that middle bunch, if I made you pick one that said, okay, now that's the team that's going to rise up and be a top four or at least like a a top five type team. It's it's sort of like combination of coaching, quarterback, path. And, and just sort of talent. And I think Baylor's got the quarterback. I think it was interesting that Dave Aranda made the decision so early in the process to go with Blake Shapin. I think that's a good move. Um, I like Baylor a lot. I said that I like Oregon a lot too. I think they're best offensive line in the PAC 12 potentially that they've got a path to the PAC 12 title game. I like Miami, as I've said, Tyler Van Dyke, I think with Mario Cristobal and a path to win their division, right? Those are, those are th- sort of the things you look at um, in that scenario there. Like Michigan state is, I think are a good football team, but I don't see the path. Like how are you, you're going to ask them to beat Penn state and Michigan and Ohio state. Like, I just don't know if they can, they can do that. So I don't see the path there, even though I like that program. Um, Oklahoma is always a, a wild card because of just sort of how much, how dominant they've been and how they've out recruited everybody in their league. So they're still very well situated there. Oklahoma state at 17. It's <laughs> how does Spencer Sanders look on a given Saturday? You know, like, I feel like you're a little higher on Oklahoma state than I would be. I, that's one of the last year's surprise teams that I am, I am expecting to fall off. I, I, they lost so much on defense and then they, they also lost their coordinator. So I, I tend to agree with that. That's why, again, I like Baylor. NC state is a very interesting team mm-hmm. and NC state is sneaky. Good. They were the second best defense in the ACC last year. They return almost all those guys intact. They were almost as good as Clemson on defense. And I think they got overlooked. They, they did a couple of NC state like things where they lost games. They probably shouldn't have last year. And they've got a quarterback who is un- vastly underrated across the country in Devin Leary. I, I just, Dave Dorn's been there for a long time, has an established culture. Now NC state's a really interesting team that I would not be surprised if they beat Clemson, win the division and are playing in the ACC title game. And if they can do that with one, this is the problem. I think any of these teams can do this stuff. The key is, can you do it with one loss? Right. Can you, can you get into that situation and only have one loss? And if you can do that, then you've got a chance at the playoff. How many of those teams are good enough to do that? I, it probably would be Utah, Oregon, Baylor, NC state. Those would be the four. And then maybe Miami that I think could be in the ch- their championship games with one loss, with a chance to maybe get into the playoff. And, and I, I hate to throw Oklahoma in there, but you kind of just have to by default. So I'll throw one more at you here and then we'll let you roll. Um, and that is a team that didn't make the Athlon top 25 that you were maybe pounding the table for a little bit and got, and got wedged out. And that you actually think not forget just, Hey, this team should have been ranked. Hey, this team I think could be hmm. the Oklahoma, like the team that we didn't really see coming the Baylor, the you know, Michigan the, from last year, Michigan yeah. from last year. It's, it's, it's really hard to do this because um, obviously I, I work on putting all the teams I like into the top 25. So sure. 
Um, I, I think I think Purdue has a chance to win the division with with Aiden O'Connell coming back and there being an opening there with Wisconsin's inability to sort of evolve on offense. That's fine. Um, yeah, that'd be a fun team. I yeah. think per, I think Purdue could absolutely win the division. They're not ranked in our top twenty five. I think they could win the division and be playing, you know, uh, nine and three, ten and two in in the Big Ten championship game against Ohio State. I think that's a team I would. I would keep an eye on. Um, I think LSU is going to be way better than people think quickly. Um, I, I think there's a plateau, so I wouldn't say Bama A&M playoff good at all. Like, I think that's insane. <laughs> but I think Brian Kelly is such a good football coach that he's going to get them very good very quickly, and they are certainly not devoid of talent. So I think LSU is one that I would I would keep an eye on. Um, I think Florida's got longer to go in terms of their their overall talent. And again, I hate to... Like, you know what I'm about to say here, and they're not in our top 25. And everybody listening, if you do not know what I'm about to say, shame on you for being bad college football fans. But Am I get it? did I get it right? Yeah, of course it's Texas. Of <laughs> course you, have, horns, you have to mention Texas. The horns. I, I, you, ha- you have to mention him. He is one of the most brilliant offensive minds in college football. <laughs> He's got a bunch of dudes. It's, again, just, just cut this and edit it, and you can use it every year on the show. Like, Texas has enough players that if things go their way, they could win the conference and blah, 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 blah. And it's like the same exact thing. But if you look around college football and you go, who's got the coaching, who's got the talent, who's not in our top 25. I look at programs like LSU, like Texas, and then the other end of that spectrum is team like Purdue, which I think is just a team that's cycled up right now. I like their coach, Jeff Brom. I like their quarterback, Aiden O'Connell. I like the division. That's very winnable. Like there's some difference there. Yeah, you and, can and see I, things coming together for Purdue. Right, right? They right. win a couple of close games and all. I mean, they kind of did it last year. You win a couple more close games and all of a sudden, yep. bang, you're a 10 win team. Like that happens. Yep. Yep. Totally. And otherwise, I think, like, if I look at the Pac 12, I just, the, the other one I would throw out there probably in this group is be UCLA. Um, I, I like UCLA. You got a quarterback who started like a gazillion games. Um, you got a head coach who knows what he's doing. That division is very balanced, like, like USC. Find. <laughs> I, like, yeah, yeah. U, USC's defense is not special. Like we've got him in our top 10. I think that's too high. I would have him lower than that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Utah is great, but Utah always does something at the beginning of the year that, that, that costs them a chance at a championship later in the year. Uh, and I love everything about Kyle Whittingham and Cam rising and the offensive line and how they're built. But like, I could see UCLA being very dangerous in the PAC 12 as well. Interesting. All right. Well, Braden Gall, Hey man, spend a lot of time together here. I appreciate yeah. you, you getting uh, giving me all this time on a Memorial Day, where I know you're just going to start uh, moving over from iced tea to a beer. Everyone, I, I had a boy. Some point, <laughs> Braden. Again, let our listeners uh, uh, know where they can find you in many different ways, and then we'll get you sure. on out of here. So at, at Braden Gall on Twitter is the best way. Everything we you know we do is sort of posted on my a feed there, so you can go to go to at Braden Gall. And, and for some reason, I like to argue about college football nonstop, so um, you can get to me there. Cover two podcasts everywhere your podcasts are found. Athlon Sports Cover Two Podcast that is a national show. Fringe Element is a SEC only show that I do with Aaron Dugan. We've lots of guests on that show, so. Um, you might recognize one of the voices coming up this week on the, on the, on the podcast. <laughs> so, um, could be a home so, and home. could be, yeah, we're, we're playing a home and home this week. I like it. Um, so again, yeah, just, uh, you know, ESPN radio occasionally as well. So just, uh, at Braden Gall is probably the best way to, to do it. And I'll, that'll get you to all the content that hopefully you guys enjoy. So, okay. So folks go out and grab a copy of Athlon, uh, before you head to the beach, uh, for the, uh, for June and the rest of the summer, Braden, man. I uh, appreciate you coming on. I can't believe it's, it's taken me this long to ask you to come on. Thanks so much for joining me. And again, hopefully we uh, talk soon and maybe uh, get a little update. For, uh, maybe I can give you a little update from the SEC meetings in Destin. I'm so jealous that you're going to be there, man. I'm so jealous for, for a variety of reasons. I'm very jealous. But no, anytime you need me, I'm, I'm happy to come on. Uh, I've enjoyed your work for a really long time. So honored to be here. Thank you. Thanks, Braden. And now... Three and out. First down. As I mentioned with Braden, it's difficult to find teams to fill out the back half of a top 10 with confidence this year. And the reason why dates back to last season. While 2021 had a predictable ending, and as many expected, Alabama played Georgia for the national title, the season was otherwise pretty wild with lots of teams exceeding expectations. I will always be of the opinion that teams that overachieve one year are likely to regress, sometimes rather severely, the next season. 
because there were so many teams that had unexpected breakthrough seasons in 2021, like Baylor and Oklahoma State and Wake and Pitt and Michigan State and Michigan and Ole Miss and Tennessee to a certain degree. I end up looking at all of them with a fair amount of skepticism for how they will follow up in 2022. Second down, the bowl schedule was announced late last week and maybe the most notable piece of an otherwise, you know, sort of shrug kind of news was the Sugar Bowl being moved to December 31st, a daytime kickoff so it wouldn't conflict with a Monday night NFL game on January 2nd. The Sugar Bowl has been played in primetime on January 1st forever or whenever New Year's Day is celebrated this year because New Year's Day is on a Sunday. The celebration of New Year's Day is January 2nd. That's normal for college football, that it would move all its big bowl games to January 2nd when January 1st falls on a Sunday. But moving the Sugar Bowl is not normal. The NFL takes what it wants. So this year's Sugar Bowl will be played with mimosas and Bloody Marys on the menu. With the NFL now playing a 17-game regular season schedule and having already established that it wants to play at least one Monday playoff game during its wildcard weekend, one of the challenges for the college football playoff, when and if it expands, will be finding dates to play these games. Folks, I'm telling you, get ready for more weeknight college football playoff games than you probably want. Third down, getting back to Athlon's top 25. Another thing that stands out among several of the highly ranked teams is uncertainty at quarterback, which often leads to more volatility throughout the season. Look at Clemson, Texas A&M, Notre Dame, and Oregon all enter this season with big question marks at quarterback. In fact, I'd be comfortable saying that the quarterbacks of those four teams are among the most important players in the country because the difference between being playoff contenders or fringe top 25 teams will likely be whether their quarterbacks can take off. That is the show for today. I'd like to thank my producer, John Radcliffe, for making me sound good. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, just about anywhere you get your pods. Please follow so you do not miss an episode. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. Thanks for listening and come back for more next week of the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast.